So would you turn to Gospel of Matthew chapter nine for today's study, Matthew nine. First grade teacher gave her students the first half of, of a proverb and asked them to come up with the rest. And she thought it would just be a fun thing to see what happened. You know, like you guys know how this works. Better to be safe than? Sorry, Sorry. so you guys got this. Well, uh, the first grader wrote on that one, better to be safe than punch a first, fifth grader. <laughs> one little girl in first grade wrote, strike while the bug is close. <laughs> it's always darkest before daylight savings time. <laughs> one, this is for you Star Wars fans, uh, it's all fun and games until Darth Vader comes. <laughs> um, a miss is as good as a mister. A little first grader wrote, you can't teach an old dog arithmetic. <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's lung cancer. <laughs> this, this kid's smart. Uh, they said, a penny saved is not very much. <laughs> Children should be seen and not spanked. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. <clears throat> So the clean ones are okay, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, little sayings and stuff, but sayings do sort of capture a culture and things that we think about and our, our view on things. And, and some of those sayings are, you, you can tell a person what a person is like by the company that they keep, or birds of a feather flock together. Uh, that's, that's just a truth that we know, that um, whoever you hang out with um, is often who you start acting like or becoming like or, or sounding the same even. Have you ever noticed that? That people that hang out together, you can tell who's been hanging out by sometimes just the way they talk. Um, you know, it's funny how married, married couples can start acting like each other. I, I even know some married couples that start looking like each other. Um, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. Have you ever noticed some people start looking like their dogs or vice versa? I'm not sure which one. Have you seen this? Uh, remember 101 Dalmatians? Come on, the movie. Um, yeah, people you hang out with or whatever you start hanging out with, that's what you become more and more like. Um, good, bad, or ugly. Some people are really good influences and others are not. And so you have to kind of wonder, um, how are you doing on that, on the people you hang out with? Well, we have a story here that is not uncommon in the Bible in the sense of um, you really do become like who you hang out with. We see that all throughout the Bible. There, one of my favorite Old Testament examples of this is David. Uh, David was a guy, you know, who was kind of an incredible person. Just, uh, you know, when you look at his exploits and his life, he was a worship leader, he sang songs, a musician, but he was also like a Navy SEAL Team 6 guy. Uh, you know, like he, he killed a giant when he was a kid uh, and then killed tens of thousands of enemies, uh, they said of him. Um, tough as nails, but a worship leader. What a strange dichotomy. But what was a great part of the story is David was hiding from King Saul in caves when a bunch of guys came and hung out with him. And the Bible tells us there in 1 Samuel, you know, that they were uh, in debt, in distress, and discontented with life. Those are the guys that started hanging out with David. Not your, you know, polished, uh, well-trained, amazing guys. They were losers, in debt, in distress, and discontented with life. And they all came and hung out with David. But the great part of the story is if you kind of follow those 600 men that started to hang out with David, they all started becoming like David. They started acting like him and they started fighting like him. In fact, of those guys, they, instead of the dis discontent of the triple D uh, group, the discontent, the distressed, 
and uh, you know, uh, in debt. Um, these guys are now called the mighty men of David. And they had major exploits, inclu- including killing giants and, uh, and, and battle exploits that are, man, read about David's mighty men in the Bible. It's an incredible story. So the more they hung out with a giant killer, they became like a giant killer. They, they also learned how to you know, do battle. And there's something about that, the people you hang out with. Well, in our story here in the gospel, um, one of the things we need to s- start really recognizing is wherever Jesus went, he would influence the people radically. You know, when I was a little kid, my dad used to say, as I'd walk out the door to school, he said, he'd say, you know, Brett, remember, you know, you're either gonna be the hammer or the nail. Now I knew what he was talking about because of family devotions. In our family devotions, my dad would teach us things and they're little reminders that he'd throw out once in a while. And one of those was, Brett, you're either the hammer or the nail. And he knew that at school, when I would go off to school, there would be people who'd wanna influence me or I was gonna influence them. What are you gonna do? And my parents not really wanting the world to influence me that much. My dad just from a very early age said, Brett, you're the one who's influencing. Don't follow the crowd, you lead the way. And I learned that from a very early age. Um, and, and I love that because it helped me through a lot of decision-making uh, in, in elementary school and stuff like that. But Jesus is definitely the hammer the whole time. Every, not, not in the sense of brutal or hardcore, but the idea is everybody was influenced by him uh, and he changed people's lives. He wasn't changed or altered by the corruption or the sin that was around him. He was the one influencing people in the positive direction. And so we're gonna see a little story where we're introduced to a new Bible character. Uh, in a few short verses, we're gonna meet this new major Bible character. And we're gonna notice in the story what Jesus saw, number one, what Jesus said, and what our new character did, and why Jesus came into this guy's life. And we're gonna see all these things. So. Uh, Let's take a look, Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse nine. And I'm gonna warn you, we're gonna bounce back and forth between Matthew nine and Luke chapter five because they're parallel stories, but they're they're two perspectives. And so we might go a little deeper and and compare and contrast the two accounts of the story. So um, first of all, Matthew chapter nine is where we're gonna start in verse nine, Matthew nine, nine. It says, as Jesus passed forth from thence, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now pause there, we'll read on a little bit later. But the first thing we observe here is what Jesus saw. And you might say, well, Brett, this is really simple. Uh, It says he saw a man. That's what it says there in verse nine. Jesus saw a man. But you say, big deal, whatever. But this is where when you compare Luke's account of this, um, I think it's an interesting compare. In fact, keep your finger here. Turn with me to Luke chapter five. Just, just about an eighth of an inch to the right in your pages. Uh, go, go about that far. You'll find Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And Luke chapter five is, is Luke's perspective. Now, one of the things that you need to understand, and we'll, we'll get into this more as we do a comparative of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they were written with different perspectives, different objectives. We're gonna go over that and, as we get deeper into our study in the New Testament. But for, for today, I'd like you just to understand, Luke is generally written from man's perspective to man. Whereas Matthew was written um, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to the Jews 
Um, but it was more of a heavenly or godly perspective, God's perspective. It's almost like you say God's perspective of the gospel, whereas Luke was more from what did man see in the gospel? It's all the gospel, it's a perspective. So it's kind of cool when you, when you see that, but you'll notice a little bit of this here in Luke 5, verse 27 is where we're gonna pick up the story. Luke 5, 27, it says, and after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi, sitting there uh, at, at the receipt of custom, for he said unto him, follow me. But this isn't even the same story. Different guy, different, he's, he's not just a man, he's a publican and, and, uh, and his name is Levi. Well, as it turns out, this is the same story. You see, Matthew's name was originally Levi. Um, but in many situations in the Bible, when somebody you know, became a believer in Jesus, they would give them new names. Uh, there's lots of these names, right? Old Testament and new, whether it was Old Testament, Abram was turned to Abraham or Sarai was turned to Sarah. Or you know, um, in the New Testament, Saul was turned into Paul. You know, Simon was turned into Peter. There were people that were given new names when they accepted Christ or followed Jesus. Matthew's one of those guys. His name was Levi. And from man's perspective, what does man see? Man sees a publican. Well, what about the Democrats, Brett? Um, well, before you're too hasty on this one, this is not a political party, the publicans in the Bible. Um, we need to talk about this because it's a, it's a, a word that's used a lot in the Bible. And let's, let's explore that, that word, uh, publican, just for a second. The word in the Greek is this word, uh, Telonis, uh, it sounds like a Spanish word actually, but it's a, it's a, he, a Greek word called uh, telonis, which means tax farmer, um, is, the, is the, one of the Greek dictionaries I have. Uh, it says tax farmer, uh, one who farms taxes, um, but we know them as a tax collector. And, uh, and so this is interesting. We've got uh, Jesus just sees Matthew a man, but he's already given him the new name, Matthew. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, Levi would be a name that means Levite, like of the tribe of Levi. Um, and Matthew was probably a, a Levite. Now, for you Bible students, where should Matthew have been? Rather than collecting taxes for the Romans, what should Matthew have been doing technically, if you know? He should have been in the temple serving as a priest. The Levites were set aside for that purpose. Matthew was not doing that. His very name would remind him that he was Levi the loser. Uh, Levi, who should have been in the temple, but he was actually betraying his own people and collecting taxes. We'll talk about that further. But, but Levi would have been a constant reminder that he was far away from helping people in the temple, but more about ripping off the people near the temple. And that's what Levi was doing. But Jesus doesn't see Levi the publican. Jesus sees Matthew the man. I think that's kind of important. Now let's talk about the publicans uh, because What's the other word you often see aside along with publicans? There were publicans and sinners, right? All throughout the Bible, publicans and sinners. Sinners and publicans, they all go together. It's like, uh, you know, cheese and hamburger or whatever. I don't know. Um, but uh, <laughs> this is the thing. Um, why are publicans always put in the same category as sinners? Well, in the Roman world, publicans um, would collect additional fees to pad their already extravagant salaries. Um, and the Bible publicans were Jews that worked for the hated Roman government. Romans came and you know, oppressed the Jews. The Iron Fist of Rome had been on the Jews for 100 years or hundreds of years. And they were, uh, so the Jews were these people that it's, it's like um, 
you know, in order for the Jews to betray their own people, the Romans would, instead of collecting taxes themselves, they would just make the Jews collect taxes. And, and then they would sort of reward the Jew that would betray his countrymen. So the Jews hated the publicans. Um, you were, you were uh, considered one of the worst of the worst if you were a tax collector and you were a sellout, uh, lining your own pockets and becoming wealthy off the backs of your own countrymen. And so that's what would happen, sort of an extortion. Uh, they'd extort as much money from the citizenry as they could. They would overcharge, pocket the overcharge, and give the Romans the money that they were asking for. Now, because of the, the uh, corruption inherent in the, uh, in, in the system um, and abetting the enemy, um, who would the publicans hang out with? Well, as it turns out, they could only hang out with, the only people that hang out with them are other publicans. And... Um, and as despised and traitors of the nation, they could only have other publicans, but they could also find themselves um, from uh, within some of the other criminal element of the community. Uh, that would include rip-off artists, thieves, prostitutes, people that were outside of sort of the, the um, you know, uh, accepted uh, class of people. And so you'd always see publicans and sinners, harlots, and mafia people and uh, rip-off artists and you know, scoundrels, they all just kind of hung out together that, and they would party together because they would use the publican's wealth to party down. Um, but the Jews, the people, the general public hated the publicans and the sinners, especially the religious people. The religious Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they all said, these are the worst of the worst. It doesn't get any worse than the publicans and the sinners. So they were wealthy, very secular. They didn't believe in God or, or any of that stuff and largely party animals of the day. Um, now, um, you say, why the difference in Matthew's account versus Luke's account? Luke's man's perspective, he was a publican and his name was Levi. Matthew is Jesus' perspective. Jesus, he's Matthew the man. And I like Jesus' perspective because you know what? Um, most people in the world that day would have seen the publican. And you and I, what would you have seen there? Would we have seen a publican that was a sinner and a sellout and a weirdo? Or would, would we have been like Jesus saying, hmm, I wonder if this person has potential to be a follower of Jesus. Does this person have a chance, a way to be saved? And I'm sure there were people in the community who said, oh, that's the last guy that would ever be saved or walk in righteousness. Um, but this is one of the things I so much appreciate about our Savior, our Lord Jesus. He, and this sounds so fuzzy and warm and cuddly and all this, but it's true. Jesus sees you and me in our potential, who we're going to be. Um, you and I know we're scoundrels like Matthew or Levi, as we want to call him. Um, but instead of that, Matthew means gift from God. Uh, but Jesus sees Matthew as gift from God, not Levi, the guy that should have been serving, the, Levi the loser. And I love that Jesus sees that and he's got the uh, insight to know who is really gonna follow him. Um, and by the way, Jesus has this way of seeing you as perfectly forgiven, that he knows that you're a work in progress. Um, Jesus didn't see a publican, he saw an apostle. What a shocker. I love this part of the story for that reason. So when, when we go back to Matthew's account in Matthew chapter nine, and it just simply says, Jesus saw a man named Matthew, that warms my heart. You didn't see a publican named Levi. I think that's important. By the way, do you know what the Lord thinks of you? Um, because I think a lot of us, we kind of consider ourselves more Levi the loser and you think, oh man, the Lord's mad at me or upset at me because I'm not good enough or I haven't done enough or this or that. 
But um, one of the things the Bible does teach, and you can see this throughout the scripture, one of the, um, you know, one of the things you know, here is what Jesus sees in you. That's point number one, really. What Jesus saw was um, you know, an apostle, even though you and I know he was a sinner. It reminds me of Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end, or your newer translation says a future and a hope. Um, that's the way the Lord saw Matthew in his, in his uh, you know, projected future. And so he accepted Matthew and uh, received him to be one of the apostles. And, um, and, and we're all works in progress. By the way, you, you are a work in progress and it's not just a work, you're a work of art in progress according to the Bible. Um, you remember Jeremiah 18 talks about how God says to the people of Israel, how oh, can I do as this potter? Saith the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. When I was in fourth grade, I went on a field trip to a potter's uh, shop there in uh, Jacksonville. Now for you from Portland, um, there's a lot of pot shops right here. That's not what I went to uh, in fourth grade. Um, there's thousands of those around here, but um, there was a place where they make pottery. It's actually, where they, and we, we got to play with the clay and we got to watch the master potter do his thing. And it was pretty cool. And I remember uh, seeing that as a kid who learned the Bible, I remember thinking, this is just like Jeremiah chapter 18. And, and the potter did exactly what the Jeremiah 18 potter does, where he takes the clay and makes a vessel, and then he squishes it back down to nothing. The guy did that. I was like, that's just like Jeremiah. And then, and then uh, he made it into some other vessel, and that's exactly what the Lord will do. He'll, um, sometimes you gotta be kind of worked over. You're the clay, and he's the potter. Well, Brett, what right does he have to make me into a pot? Um, he earned that right when he died on the cross. You see the hand at the potter's wheel, the foot that's spinning the potter's wheel and the hand that's pressing the clay, there's nail prints on those hands and feet. He earned the right to shape us the way he wants to shape us. That's why Romans 9, 21 says, hath not the potter power over the clay the same, of the same lump to make one vessel of, unto honor and another to dishonor. In other words, the Lord, it's his, it's his decision of who you're gonna be. But Matthew was this lump of clay that was still sort of in the rough. But Jesus knew that he was gonna do a great work. It reminds me of Ephesians 2, verses eight through 10, where we're reminded how we're saved. For by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Let's say he mentioned both. Boy, this should end the discussion. Are you saved by works? Uh, no. Yeah, but what about James? Faith without works is dead. It is, but still works doesn't save you. Faith uh, that saves will bring about good works eventually. That's the byproduct of someone who's saved. It will happen. But uh, you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, and it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast, for we are his. And mark that word in Ephesians 2, where it says his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's what he's doing in Matthew. He's about to do a work of art as he's gonna shape Levi into Matthew. Uh, workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word workmanship, the Greek word for that, you've, you've heard me point this out and others a lot because it's kind of a cool word. It's the word poema in the Greek. Well, the word we call workmanship in English, but it's, it's basically um, the word where we get poem. And it means work of art uh, or that which has been made like by an artisan. It's a work of art is kind of the idea. And so, you know, we're saved by grace. And then after we're saved, we're shaped like pottery. And the Lord shapes our life to be who he wants us to be. 
Um, and that's so cool. Uh, even though the, the pottery's process can be sort of tedious and pressure and heat, uh, it's all part of what the Lord does in our lives. And, uh, and I say, Lord, have your way with my life. I wanna be whatever kind of vessel you want me to be. And I hope you, you would have the same uh, feelings because Jesus is gonna do a good work in you. And, uh, and the Bible says, if he's begun a good work in you, he's gonna be faithful to complete that work. Thank the Lord for that, because you and I aren't good at finishing or completing the work he is. That's good news. So the first thing we see here is what Jesus saw. He saw a man named Matthew, not Levi the publican. I think that's kind of cool, Matthew the man. But that's the first thing, what Jesus saw. Number two, then what did Jesus say? That's the second thing we wanna just sort of meditate on and think about this morning. Um, in Matthew 9, it's very clear. He just said, follow me. Two words, um, uh, pretty simple. And have you ever wondered how he said, follow me? Well, Brett, I know. I watched The Chosen <laughs> and I saw how he said that. And I know that Matthew had Asperger's. Uh, what do we, this might be an appropriate time as we're going through the gospel of Matthew. This might be an appropriate time to just address the chosen just a little bit. Cause I, I know that people are very divided. So it's the best thing that's ever hit television. Others are like, it's from Satan. Uh, and you're like, which one is it? Well, who would say that, Brett? Well, the Mormons, the Mormons, there's an attachment or, or something to the Mormons. And you know, the, the Jenkins or whatever said, oh no, 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 it's not. And there, there's this thing about all this stuff. Um, forget about that for a second. Let me just talk biblically for a second. Um, uh, it's almost like there's, there's artwork that's out there that's sort of like uh, historical fiction. And sometimes historical fiction will cross into true history. And a lot of movies you'll see are, are like, um, you know, historic, like World War II, you'll see things that actually happened. Pearl Harbor was bombed. But the characters, there might be some historical fiction and stuff and added storylines that may or may not have happened. Um, you kind of have to watch The Chosen with that in mind because I, I, here's my problem. Because um, I watched like season one and part of season two, and um, and there were some really touching parts. And you have to admit, like the guy did, he's a creative guy, and and there's some things to like when you see it. But here's my, as a Bible teacher, as sort of a stickler, and I know people are like, Brett, you're such a pain. Um, but uh, as a stickler, I, I'm a little uncomfortable when when Jenkins. I'm very uncomfortable when he says, I'm just showing the authentic Jesus. And my answer to that is, that's not the authentic Jesus. Um, his movie is not the authentic Jesus. He's making stuff up. There's things that he adds to the story. As it turns out, this is the authentic Jesus right here, the Bible. The story that's right here. Oh, Brett, you're such a weirdo. Be careful though, because there are things, like for example, you know what made me freak out a little bit when I was, is Jesus needed some help with his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, who was it? Was it Matthew that was helping Jesus give him some sermon ideas and stuff? Uh, that didn't happen. I, I, I'm just saying, it's not in the Bible and it's even kind of weird to think about someone giving Jesus a hand with a sermon. Um, I don't even need your help with a sermon. Uh, <laughs> trust me, uh, Jesus did not need help with a sermon. Um, <laughs> um, plus Matthew having Asperger's, people are like, oh, that's so wonderful that Matthew had Asperger's because I have Asperger's and I have, and people get all identifying and stuff like that. Now, here's the thing, good news for people with, uh, you know, disabilities or whatever, the Bible does talk about how the Lord cares about everyone like that and, and he's got a plan and a purpose for people. So yes, that's a biblical idea, but Matthew was probably not the one they portrayed in that uh, series. In fact, um, he was a wealthy party animal uh, who had li people, lots of people like to come to his house. I'll prove that here in a second. 
Um, and he wasn't this loner, weirdo kind of guy. Uh, it's just not Matthew. I'm sorry. We got to kind of stick with the Bible account. Well, Brett, what should we do then? Like when people come and say, oh, have you watched The Chosen? It's so anointed and so awesome. Um, here's what I'm saying is I'm saying, ah, oh, there's some great stuff in there, but we need to really watch for the authentic Jesus. Oh, that is the authentic Jesus. No, 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 this is the authentic. Like, let's bring people back. You see, because basically um, uh, The Chosen is another one of these fads that came and went, or still coming and going, I'm not sure. It's a couple of years ago, but the reason I'm bringing it up now is because I'm in the Gospel of Matthew. And everybody jumped on board, and Christians, evangelicals, were the worst fad, you know, fads that come and go. Man, if it's not just prayer of Jabez, oh, one verse in the Old Testament, the prayer of Jabez, and you get the book, and you get the t-shirt, and you get the mug, and you're walking around, prayer of Jabez, yeah. Remember that? Even the prayer of Jabez authors, like, I didn't really mean for it to mean what you guys are saying it's supposed to be. Um, and you can just go on and on, whether you're talking about Left Behind series or, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, what was the, the out of oh, this present darkness, remember that? There was demons everywhere, demons. And um, we got into the, the, the there's just fads. I've watched this my whole life. This is another one of the fads, but be careful with this one because we, we really, when somebody starts saying this is the authentic Jesus, make sure we're talking about whatever the Bible says when we use the word authentic. Uh, not some movie. A.W. Tozer, when I was a kid, I, I used to read a lot of Tozer and I liked Tozer, I, I really do. I did think he was a little brutal sometimes, but I still like him a lot. Um, anybody read Tozer here? Uh, yeah, okay, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but he said something when I was younger, I was like, oh, that's just not right. And he did a whole sermon, and I forget what the sermon was called. It was something like um, the Christian movie is going to uh, destroy Christianity or something pretty radical like that. And I remember thinking, oh, come on, someday they're gonna make some really good Christian movies. Um, but now as an older guy, stodgy, and maybe get off my lawn just like Tozer, I'm kind of saying the same thing. I have to agree with the old guy. Like Christian movies, because people get so into it and they almost think that's more true than the Bible, some guy in his head and director and actors, the way they're acting. Um, now you say, well, Brett, stop being so precise. Well, that's another problem. When we were given the tabernacle, in fact, Tozer's sermon on this, he actually talked about this. Uh, you can look it up. Uh, you know, Christian movies in A.W. Tozer, look that up. And he wrote it in like the 60s, before he died, not long before he died. But he wrote about how the tabernacle was measured to exact measurements and the tabernacle was precise and, and there was no variation. And, and it was very, it, it, some of you read the Old Testament, you're like, this is so boring. Why all the detail? Well, as it turns out, God's very much into detail. The tabernacle is a per perfect picture of Jesus Christ. And so when you talk about Jesus, I think we need to be very precise and be real careful with people's interpretation of who they think Jesus is. You know, because if you're a Mormon, you think Jesus is the brother of Satan and he's not, you know, like, like there's, there's some weird doctrine out there that is so easy to get off course. That's why you gotta get back to what the Bible actually says about Jesus. So. Yes, you can be all teary-eyed and say, oh, I watched The Woman at the Well and Chosen. And I, I like that scene, by the way. Woman at the Well was a great scene. But I really like the scene in the Bible better. Some of you are like, well, Pastor Brett, if you just do a movie about just the red letters, you're gonna have a boring movie. I disagree. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes the book is better than the movie. In this case, the book is way, way, way better than the movie, okay? Don't forget that, don't forget that. Okay, enough diatribe there on The Chosen. I didn't mean to get that far into that, but I just did. So here we go. So we, we've seen what Jesus saw. What did Jesus say? And, 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 and my question is, you know, how does he say it? Well, watch the movie, Brett. No, this is the fun part of the Bible. 
We get, to, we get to use the Bible to sort of interpret. And Jesus could have said this any number of ways. Um, you know, like when Jesus spoke, he, people said they marveled at his gracious words. Did he say, follow me with a glimmer of joy in his eye and a smile on his face? Graciously saying, Matthew, follow me. Or was he using that? You remember how in Matthew 7, just a few weeks ago, we saw where it said that Jesus, in, what was it, Matthew 7, 29. He taught them as one having authority. Maybe Jesus authoritatively uh, said, Matthew, follow me. Like, you better follow me or else. No, I don't think it was that. Um, that's why you gotta read the story of Jesus to kind of get his nature. But I, I have a sense as I read the biblical narrative that Jesus had a weightiness to him, so much so that when he walked next to this guy who's collecting taxes and doing his thing, so weighty was Jesus in his ability to speak when he just said, follow me. It was hefty enough to where Matthew drops everything and follows him. That doesn't happen just every day. And especially for a guy who has a lot to lose. A guy who has a lot to lose, a tax collector who's a wealthy man and he's got no friends and suddenly one guy comes and says, follow me and he drops all that. That's interesting. Now, um, there were others who wanted to follow Jesus, by the way, and we've seen them. Remember in Matthew chapter eight, verses 18 through 22, we saw a couple guys that wanted to follow Jesus, but they weren't really counting the cost. The one guy's, you know, like, oh, I need to go bury my father, even though his father was still alive. That meant go home, hang out with dad for a couple more years, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Um, or, you know, the other guy who didn't count the cost of being homeless, I'll follow you uh, with all my heart, the guy said. And, and Jesus said, Fox, some, you know, foxes have holes and birds have, of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you really count the cost? And the guy's like, oh, sorry, I'm out of here. I don't wanna be homeless. Um, so some people really didn't count the cost, but I love that Matthew, who it would cost him a lot, his occupation and his wealth, and he gets up. Now, this is again um, where, uh, you know, where I think it's kind of important in this area of what, what Jesus said, um, follow me. I think it's important to ask ourselves, who do we follow? Are we following Jesus? Or are we following our friends or pressures that people put on us of what we think we're supposed to do? I think this is an important question at this juncture in the story to say, who are you following? We have to be careful about this. Um, are you following the fads and the fa fancies of today's traditions and our, our community and what people in Westland or Lake Oswego or Tualatin, like what, what do the people here do? And are we following that or are we following Jesus? In an Indiana cemetery, there's a hundred year old cemetery stone there. And it said this, inscribed on this tombstone, it said, pause stranger when you pass me by as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. <laughs> now underneath that was scratched with another rock on the tombstone. It said, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> you gotta be careful who you follow because some people may not be leading you in the best direction. Um, Jesus was the one who said, follow me. And he would say that to you and me today. Uh, we are to be followers of Jesus Christ. He's asked that of us. Um, and it's the question is, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna follow him or not? Matthew, well, that brings us to number three, what Matthew did, and I love it. It's almost like he doesn't even pause for a second. I wonder if he was ready for this. I wonder if he was done with his stinking, tax-collecting, party-animal life. Um, 
Uh, in fact, it's interesting, you know, flip back, I told you we're gonna go back and forth. Go to Luke chapter five again, and we read another, a little variation on this. In Luke chapter five, verse um, 28, it says in Luke 5, 28, it says, and, G, and, and Matthew, it says, and he left all, rose up and followed him. See how Luke gives more information on some of this stuff? Um, he left all. Now, before we get all panicky and think, does this mean I have to sell my house and give to the poor and go around with a, with a stick and a bag and be homeless? Uh, hold up, Johnny Appleseed. Now, now, hold on a second. Be careful on this one. Some pastors, missionaries, I've heard this over the years where people are like, yeah, you need to be in poverty and forsake all like Matthew and leave all. And um, some people are called to that, by the way. Some people. Not everyone's called to that. Some people are called to work hard and make money and be a part of the, uh, the church and help supply the finances. Remember Joseph of Arimathea? He didn't leave his wealth and leave everything. He actually helped the church uh, by giving Jesus his tomb. Like that was a very expensive thing. Um, some people in the, in the early church were helping provide a place and food for Jesus and the disciples and places for them to meet. Those were the wealthier people in the group. Um, and sometimes there's a place for that. And by the way, I don't even think when it says in Luke 5 that Matthew left all, I don't think that means he left everything that he had. Well, Brett, it all means all. Yeah, but here's the problem. Uh, I think what the story is saying here is he's sitting at his tax collecting booth or table or whatever he's at, and he just gets up and leaves all of that. Everything that was there, he just said, I'm out of here, pure, and he left. By the way, um, one thing that is true is often these publicans would be assigned a Roman guard because people hated them so bad they wanted to kill them. So the Roman soldier would be hanging around with the tax collectors reluctantly, but they would nonetheless protect them because the Jews wanted to kill the tax collectors. So Matthew leaves all of that and follows Jesus. I'll show you the evidence um, that he didn't necessarily leave all, everything that he owned. I'll show you that in a second. But but, um, but I, I want you to know there, there's, there's something to making sure that you've left what you need to leave so that you can follow Jesus without any encumbrance, anything that drags you away from Jesus. Have you forsaken the things you need to leave? For some of you, it cost you family members. Once you became a Christian, people just kind of said, yeah, whatever, you're just one of those weirdos, Christians, and they, they sort of checked out as family. Uh, good news, by the way, the church can be like a family. And you can have better family in some ways than your real biological family when you are part of God's kingdom. I have to say, um, I bet many of you in this room have had to, to some degree, leave family members in a sense when you became a Christian. Jesus talked about how it cost you father, mother, sister, brother, when you follow Jesus at times. Uh, for some of you, it was leaving your old friends or your old lifestyle when you became a, a Christian and you had to do like Matthew. Um, but you know, the more you follow Jesus, the more you don't miss that stuff in the background that you had to leave because you realize following Jesus is what it's all about. Man, I've got so many stories just from Athey Creekers over the years. One of my favorite stories was this guy. <laughs> it was funny because, you know, what is a typical Athey Creeker? I don't know, but this guy was not. He strolls into Athey Creek. He's wearing like a polyester suit with a silk shirt and a big heavy gold chain. And, and he's got slicked back hair. And, and he walks in and, and uh, sits down. And this was back in the school days when we were across the freeway over here at the school. And uh, I remember uh, this guy and I said, what's your name? He says, my name's Maurice. And, 
interesting. So I got to know him a little bit and went out and had lunch with him after church one Sunday. And he told me his story, and that is this. He was born by a woman in Colombia to be part of mafia. Like literally they were farming out babies to be mafia, you know, or cartel, drug cartel, mafia type guys. Um, and they were growing him from the time he was zero to 18 to be a, like sort of a, a, you know, criminal. And then they moved him to Los Angeles to be sort of their contact. And like he, he was born to be drug cartel. And uh, then um, he was listening to the radio and he accepted Jesus and became a Christian. And so he decided to leave the cartels and went to the FBI. And the FBI, he kind of kind of told the whole story and the FBI put him in protective custody, gave him a new name, Maurice, and uh, moved him uh, to secret place here in Portland. You're like, Brett, you shouldn't be telling anybody this. Well, here's the problem. That was, this was a long time ago. And he was here with us for about a year and he went to all the Bible studies and it was fun getting to know this guy. Um, and the Lord was doing a big work and a change in him when the mafia figured out he lived here in Portland. Um, and so uh, they had to relocate him once again. And we don't know where he is to this day. Probably a new name, new location. Um, but what a story. Talk about leaving all. And uh, you know, like that's a big shift. We've got ex, you know, gang members, drug dealers. Some of them are our pastors on staff. Um, uh, it's great. It's amazing what the Lord can do um, you know, with um, people. But speaking of what he does, what, that, that kind of brings us to, you know, back to you know, what did Matthew do? What, what Matthew did? You say, well, Brett, he followed him. But it goes further than that as we keep reading. Let's read on. Here in Matthew, let's go back to Matthew if you're not there. Matthew 9, verse 10. It says, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners. There it is. That's, that's, that's the crew right there, publicans and sinners. Many of them came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders, when they saw it, they said to his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what, I, uh, what that meaneth. Um, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, this is so huge. Now, this, this, there's so many questions, so many things here. What's going on? First of all, it says here, and they came to pass, Jesus sat at meat in the house. And the question is, what house? Well, go back to Luke chapter five. Um, flip over, we learn whose house he's at. It says in uh, uh, verse 28, he left all, rose up and followed him, and Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house. It's, it's Matthew's house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Um, Luke says publicans and others, meaning the sinners. How was Matthew able to get a bunch of publicans and sinners together in his house for a party? The answer, this was what he did every weekend. He was a party animal. This is what the public, read history, man. Check it out. The publicans, this is what they do. They'd, they'd sort of rip off the people and then they'd, you know, uh, eat big feasts and have big keggers, you know, and, and wine gushing and people, all the publicans and sinners would come together and here's Jesus at one of these parties. You say, well, no wonder the Pharisees are like, whoa, what, do you, what does this mean? You see, you gotta understand these Pharisees, you know, it makes you kind of nervous when you see Jesus talking to these Pharisees 
do you and I have a little bit of Phariseeism in us? Where we go, I can't believe what a sinner that person is. I can't believe those people are hanging out with those people. Or I can't believe that church has those people in it. We, we've had that kind of happen here. It's, it's a little tricky sometimes. You never know who's sitting next to you in church. <laughs> I got this one funny letter from a mom. Um, again, this was quite a few years ago, but it, it sort of cracked the leadership up because it was, a, she wrote it. I, I, would, I should probably find this letter and, and read it someday because you guys would die laughing. But this lady was talking about how she came to church with her husband and her three sons, you know, who are teenagers. And they sat down uh, in the chairs and they were, you know, trying to worship. And it was their first time at Athey. And sitting in front of them were three girls. And at that time, you know, there, were, there was this thing where she t- describes what color each one of their underwear was. Uh, and she went into detail, talk, it, was, it was funny. Um, and she was like, um, these poor girls were trying desperately to cover up their bodies with little tiny pieces of clothing that they were, like she went on and was talking about girls dressing inappropriately at church. And, um, and it was kind of, she said, Pastor Ray, you know, maybe you should turn down the heat so that women will wear more clothes uh, at, the, at Athey Creek. And it was like, it was really funny. We were kind of cracking up. But, um, but yeah, what about that, Brett? Well, um, as it turns out, um, uh, one of the things we have to remember is not everybody that comes to church, especially at Athey, and I, I want you to know this, not everybody that comes here is Christian people. Uh, some people were dragged here by their mother or by their grandma or the Lord somehow got them into church for some reason. And it's kind of a cool thing. Um, sometimes I even forget that, you know, I was, I was, I brought my son, Joey, when he was, we moved to Portland and we were so excited. We finally lived in a city with a professional team and we were all excited. We've since lost the joy in that. Um, <laughs> but one of the things we did when Joey was like seven, I took him to the Portland Trailblazers. It was our first time at the Rose Garden. And we went up there and we, we saw a Portland Trailblazer game and Joey and I were sitting there taking in the game. It was great. Um, but then the blazer dancers came out and it was kind of like, you know, mm, mm, mm. I was like, hey, Joey, uh, what do you think those rafters are made of uh, up there in the Coliseum? And Joey and I are looking up, you know, and, and the girls are doing their thing down there. And I don't know, as a father, I just wasn't really wanting Joey to like be, you know, influenced by the suggestive dances and stuff and the clothing and stuff. So I was just like, and, and then I realized, wow, every time out, okay, hey, Joey, let's count how many commercials there are, how many advertisements are up here in the, and, and it was kind of a joke, you know, but. <clears throat> but all that to say, I was, I, I, we went to the game, came back. Well, the next morning I was teaching Sunday and I was talking about that. And I kind of told it kind of like I just did. And we were sort of uh, laughing. And then at the end of the service, um, these three girls that were sitting right here in the front row, they were sitting right here. They walked up, hey, Pastor Brad, we're, we're blazer dancers. <laughs> uh, look at those rafters. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, but we had a really good conversation. I was really horrified at first. Like, I don't know, what have I done, you know? Um, but uh, they actually agreed and said, we understand as a dad that you feel that way. And, and we, we had a really productive conversation. And those girls were, were, were learning to say, how do we follow Jesus? What do we do? And we need them here. We need people who are unsaved. We need people who are learning what a Christian is and what, it, what's, what pleases the Lord. Like these are things that, that is part of the deal. And so I, the reason I have to say that is, you know, don't be a Pharisee. Um, we hope that the sinners, the publicans and the Democrats too, <laughs> we hope they all come to church and are, are able to hear the good news of the gospel message. We really do.
And, and so don't be a religious prude saying, I can't believe that person over there. Well, you know, how they drove into the parking lot. Um, you never know. Uh, they could be a flying fish, a Christian who just drives crazy. Um, but we call them a Jehu here at Athey. But, um, um, but, but also, you never know. One of our neighbors was complaining about, um, and, and probably rightly so, uh, he, he wrote us a letter out here saying, uh, it's like the, you know, Eck Road Raceway. Every Saturday, every Sunday, all you Christians coming out and uh, burning your tires off, uh, you know. And, uh, and he was writing a letter. And we said, we're sorry. We sent him a fruit basket and stuff and said, we're, we're really sorry. And, um, but we honestly, like, what are we gonna do about that? Because, um, and he's like, you know, Christians should behave better than that. And I'm like, yeah, they probably should. Um, but some, some Christians are, are the, you know, some of the people may not even be Christians that are peeling off. Um, Probably most of you are, but um, you sh- but you shouldn't you shouldn't be behaving like that. But uh, especially remember we have neighbors. We're trying to keep keep everybody happy around here. Um, but anyway, all that to say, uh, you never know who's in church. Uh, and and I love that Jesus was willing to hang out with the publicans and the sinners. Now, before you say, "Cool, Pastor Fred, I'm gonna have a kegger at my house this weekend. We're gonna have a Matthew party, just like Jesus." Uh, well, one thing you got to remember is. Um, Matthew's intention, I think, had changed from what his former parties looked like. It says in Luke's gospel, Levi made Jesus a great feast in his own house. Matthew's intent was to have a feast focused and centered on Jesus. So if you're doing that, if you're going and having a, a party at your house, and I'm all for Matthew parties, man, have Matthew parties, not Levi parties, Matthew parties uh, at your house. Get your neighbors that are unsaved get them to your house and have a nice dinner and cook them up a good steak on the grill or if you're one of the Portlandia people, some kale. Um, <laughs> and have some good food and stuff. Uh, well, unless you're doing the kale thing. Um, and, um, and, just, and just have people over that are unsaved. Don't be afraid. Because we need to point them to Jesus. Some of your neighbors would never come to church, ever. But they might come to your house for some food and, uh, and, and, and you can do it. Make it a feast dedicated to Jesus, and then share them the love of Christ. Oh, Brett, that's, that's going a little crazy. Uh, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But what did Matthew do? He had everybody over at his house, all his old party animal friends, and it was to meet Jesus. It wasn't about the party, it was about Jesus. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, it, it, if, you're, if you're careful, you know, you might be one of these play it safe Christians that are just trying to keep a distance. And I understand that there is a, there is a time and a place to separate yourselves from worldliness and godlessness. But, um, but uh, man, I always hope there's people that come into Athey Creek who are unsaved. And that's a goal here. We want to see unsaved people here. And when you see people that look like maybe not your typical Athey Creeker or someone who's carrying a Bible or someone who's smiling, maybe they're, you know, dressed differently or acting differently, be thankful, be rejoicing. I was cracking some jokes. I know that's, uh, they're mostly not funny, but I guess one Sunday I said something funny and this poor guy that was sitting in the back over here, he, um, he, was, he, he, was, he was obviously not your typical Athey Creeker uh, by just the kind of way he was acting, but, but it happened and I heard this from the, one of the guys sitting next to him and the guy, when I cracked a joke, the guy was like, ha, blankety blank. And then he went, like you could tell, he realized, oh, what did I just do? I said something in church and now the lightning's coming. Like you could tell he was freaking out. And the guy sitting next to him was, was a Christian who you know, had lived that lifestyle before. He was very familiar with that guy. And he, instead, of, instead of saying, my virgin ears, oh, he didn't do that. 
there may have been a couple people around him doing that. But this guy, this Athey Creeker guy, leans over and kind of nudges, oh, that's funny, really funny. Honey. Like he totally lightened the mood in the moment, wanted the guy not to feel bad for making that little you know, declaration in the middle of church. <laughs> and I love that that other guy was there to sort of defuse the situation because you know what? Um, that's the kind of person we want in church. We want him to hear the gospel and be saved just like Matthew and his party animal friends. Um, don't, let's never be the church that says, yeah, get out of here if you're a sinner. Uh, some, sometimes we get it backwards. The, relig the religious people of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were totally out to lunch on this one. Um, and Jesus calls him out on it. Jesus says, man, listen, I have not come to you know, deal with the healthy people. I've come to deal with sick people. And that's one of the reasons why Athey Creek, we call this church sort of culturally, we like to think of ourselves as a hospital where sick people can come and meet Jesus. You see, when I say Athey Creek's a hospital, trust me, I'm not the physician. I've just been in the hospital longer than some of you. I know where the jello is. I know where the bathrooms are. I'll show you around and stuff. But but Jesus is the great physician and he's the one that can heal the wretched, miserable sinner who's doomed to hell. Jesus is the one who does that. And that's what we wanna bring people here for is to meet Jesus Christ, um, to love on the lost. And uh, this is so important. Um, so all that to say, uh, what Jesus saw, a man and his potential. What Jesus said, follow me. What Matthew did, he left his tax table and followed Jesus. Um, by the way, let's read the second part of Luke chapter five. Flip over there real quick, Luke chapter five, and, and we'll read the finished part of that because this is pretty cool. And this has a, uh, gets us back to the, the next one that we're gonna talk about in the final part. Uh, Luke 5, 29, it says, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and others of that that sat down with them. But the scribes and the Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Man, I love this. And this really tells, tells us this question, like I mentioned earlier, and this will be our final uh, discussion, is why Jesus came. Why he came to earth? Or why did he go to the party? Which one, the answer? Both. Why did he go to the party? He came to save the lost. Why did he come to this earth? To save the lost, same deal. So that's why I leave that just generic, why he came, both Matthew's account and Luke's account shows us that Jesus came because there's sick people that need a doctor and Jesus is the only one who can fix it. Um, and so that's why we have to be careful about why we come to church. Uh, do we come just to be entertained or hear, hear you know, the, even for our own selfish means or motives? Um, we have to be careful to make sure and focus on the person of Jesus Christ and that this is a hospital. Uh, it's a hospital. I remember when I was at Southern Oregon University, kind of a miniature Berkeley when I was going to school there. Um, in fact, back when I was at school there, MTV came and did a special on Southern Oregon University, the top party school in America. Um, makes you so proud to be attending such a school. But I went to um, a, a sociology class and this professor started his class out saying, I am a communist Marxist. He just wanted to make that clear. And that's where all this came from today. The stuff that uh, has gone on in colleges for decades is now coming out in our culture. But this, he said, I'm a communist Marxist and I'm gonna use this class, this, this you know, sociology, whatever it was, 101. I'm going to uh, show you how one model of how we study sociology. And what we're gonna study is the church, he said. 
And I'm gonna show you how the church is just a crutch. And remember back in the day when everybody used to say, oh, the church is just a crutch. Remember that? That was kind of a thing, secularists would say. But having heard that before, I was sort of ready with an answer, and so I raised my hand. And yes, and I said, well, you know, I just wanna agree with you. That's so amazing. You said the church is a crutch because it is. It's, it's not only a crutch, but it's the gurney, it's the ambulance, it's the hospital, it's the whole thing. And it's awesome because Jesus is the great physician that solves all the world's problems. <laughs> and uh, we kind of had it out for the whole term. It was like, like uh, every day uh, for a while. But, um, um, but anyway, not just a crutch, we're the gurney, the wheelchair, the ambulance, the, the, the whole hospital, that's what the church is, and that's an important thing. Now, um, the key is, there's so many things that we need to kind of think about. I, I like to just kind of mull over these passages, and we've looked at these things, you know, why Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What Matthew did, left his table, followed Jesus, uh, had a party with people to show him Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Um, you know, here's some things I wanna uh, just finish. Do we see others the way Jesus sees them? That's a question. Do you see people in their potential? Because we're all a work in progress. And sometimes I think we put more pressure on people than Jesus puts on people because we have higher expectations. Lower your expectations, but look at people. I wonder what the Lord is doing in this person because we're all works in progress. That'll help you out a lot if you think that way. Are we tied down to stuff that doesn't allow us to follow Jesus? Time to be like Matthew, get up. Leave whatever you need to leave and follow Jesus. Do we invite others to the same, to do the same and, and actually follow Jesus like we're following Jesus? I love how Matthew brings in all his party animal friends. And we're gonna see later on that some of those people, including some prostitutes, are gonna start following Jesus because Matthew was involved with that. But realize also that there, there's a lot of people here that are sick in need of a doctor and that that's part of our role. Um, you know, I'll finish with this little story. It was the Danish philosopher, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who told the kind of an interesting story about people that are well-meaning. And he talks about that everyone liked the fireman because he was a kindly, uh, heroic kind of figure in their town. They all loved the fireman, and he was a nice guy. But, um, uh, but there was a big fire one day, and the townspeople thought, we'll show up and show our support. A uh, big fire showed up, so the firemen and his crew and his, you know, fire, you know, equipment, heavy equipment came and they came and raged in toward the fire to deal with it. And all the, about 200 townspeople showed up with little squirt guns. And they just sat next to the fire, squirt, squirt, squirt. And the fireman's like, what are you doing? Uh, get out of the way. And they're like, oh, you know, we're here to help. Uh, you know, you, you, the spokesman for the group said, well, we all appreciate this wonderful work you're doing and our community, and so we've all come to contribute in some small way uh, to your work, squirt, 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 as Kirk Regard tells the story. Um, and the fireman said, I don't get it, you're all crazy, get out of the way. Oh, we realize we could all do more, you know, uh, couldn't we folks, and all the people, yeah, we could do more. Um, but we just wanted to offer this little token of our support, squirt, squirt, squirt. And um, the fireman finally uh, said, yeah, listen, you, you gotta get out of the way. You're, you're actually making the problem worse. And finally the fireman got angry and shouted at them, get out of here, get out of the way. Um, this is no picnic. He said, this is a fire. We come here and risk our lives to put this out. Um, and he kind of, and the people were all offended, squirt, 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 and they walked away. And he said, that's the end of the story, yep. But it, but, but it goes to make you wonder, um, we've got a fire called hell 
And there's only one thing that can really stand against between you and hell, and that's Jesus. And we're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus to everyone. Um, and it says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Not hardly, heartily as unto the Lord. And, and, and if we're not careful, we're gonna be these sort of country club Christians going around, oh yes, we love the ministry, squirt, squirt, squirt. Oh yeah, we're, we're happy that uh, you know, uh, there's missionaries out you know, you know, busting their tails, doing some hard work out in the jungle, squirt, squirt, squirt. We're, we like to support, we're doing what we can in our small token, squirt, squirt. And, and, and that's what Kierkegaard is like saying in kind of a funny way. Um, but, but for me, the last thing I wanna do is be the guy just in the way going squirt, squirt, squirt. I wanna be part of the, 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 the people that are charging in. I love how Matthew does that. He just charges in, gets all his secular, crazy party animal friends together and starts sharing to them Jesus. And because of that, um, many people got saved and got to know Jesus Christ. Um, what an important thing. Um, you know, one hears the celestial fireman say, please get out of here. Uh, what I'm looking for are disciples who would be radically committed and willing to even die for the sake of the gospel. Wonder, wonder how we're doing on that. So just some food for thought. The story of Matthew's uh, introduction here and his calling to be an apostle. I love this for so many reasons. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church in Jesus' name. Let's pray. And Lord, we are thankful. Uh, once again, the gospels never uh, disappoint. These stories are powerful. And I pray that we would glean as much as we possibly can. Lord, how thankful we are for your word. May it bring forth good fruit in our lives, Lord. I pray that more and more unsaved people would come and hear the gospel message. Lord, we know that can make messy situations. We know that uh, having the party animals, the unsaved, doesn't always make things a, a clean situation or even easy. But Lord, we would take that. We wanna see this be a place, a hospital where, where people can come and meet the great physician. So use Athey Creek in that way. Use Athey Creekers to do that, Lord, to do that work like Matthew. Bless this church, Lord. We commit ourselves to you, our lives to you, and pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.